The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. One moment, a business is on top of its game, profitable and well-respected. In the next moment, it could be the victim of a major fraud with potentially catastrophic consequences, financial losses, damaged reputation, diminished stakeholder value, scrutiny, even bankruptcy. These stories are all too common in today's business headlines. While some organizations recover, others don't make it. How do you minimize the risk of fraud and avoid the devastation? Welcome to Fraud Talk with host Chris Marquet. Our goal is to prevent your organization from becoming one of the statistics. Now, here is Chris Marquet. Good morning and welcome, Fraud Talkers. I am your host, Chris Marquet, on the Voice America Online Radio Network. We have a great program uh, for you today with my special guest, Dan Carson. Dan has been uh, in the investigative world for some 40 years, uh, first as a prosecutor in New York City and then for the past 30 years with Kroll Associates uh, and uh, currently serving as its chairman. I had the pleasure of working with Dan for uh, nearly 20 of those years. Uh, But before we get to Dan, uh, who's going to be joining us shortly, uh, let's not forget something that uh, one of uh, Dan's and my colleagues uh, once said at Kroll, and that is that at any time in any organization, there's always somebody who's up to no good and uh, Fraud Talk is here our program is here to help educate the business community about the perils and pitfalls of fraud in today's uh, business world and we're here to try to tamp it down squelch it shed some light on it and hopefully stem the tide of fraud remember the call in line to the program is 866-472-5790 if you would like to join the discussion or if you have a question or a comment uh, for uh, Dan or my Myself today, uh, you can call us uh, you, uh, at that number. You can also find us online on var- various uh, major social media: Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, which is at Fraud Talk, and uh, we use the hashtag Fraud Talk for our conversations. And also, you can uh, check check me out on the, on my Fraud Talk blog, which is on Blogspot. Or contact me directly, Chris at marqueinternational.com. That's M A R Q U E T International, all one word, dot com. If you have a question, comment, or a suggested fraud of the week. So, speaking of which, uh, this week's fraud uh, of the week involves a Connecticut woman who's been charged with embezzling 1.6, actually 1.7 nearly, million dollars from a local electrical supply company uh, over a seven-year period. And I'm just going to quickly give you some excerpts from the Hartford Current uh, on November 13th. A former Middletown uh, accountant uh, um, um, working for an electrical supply company was charged Wednesday with embezzling more than $1.6 million over seven years. Gail Zola, Z-O-L-L-A, 41, of Bristol, Connecticut, has been charged with one count of first-degree larceny and 327 counts of second-degree forgery. Police said the forgery counts relate to checks she wrote to a fictitious company and deposited the money into her own accounts. After turning herself in on Wednesday, Zola was held in lieu of $250,000 bail. 
Uh, police said that on February 15th uh, last year, Zola went to the police department and told them that she'd embezzled money from her employer, U.S. Electrical Services uh, in Connecticut, which is a subsidiary, I'm sorry, the parent of electrical wholesalers. Um, the, the case was actually turned over to Middletown Police because that's where the company is based, who conducted an investigation. Uh, the police department found that she'd stolen some, I'm sorry, she she told the police department that she'd stolen some $800,000, but uh, an audit, internal audit determined that she'd actually stolen $1.66 million. Uh, it's interesting that she, uh, just a comment here, that she went to the police herself, uh, and as it turns out, according to the, the press accounts, she was being pressed by one of her co co-workers who saw some discrepancies in the accounts and kept asking her and kept after her about the discrepancies uh, and then ultimately went to the CFO who then, uh, who then the two of them approached her and she uh, essentially disappeared from work, uh, then went to the police the next day and confessed to them that she'd been embezzling from the money uh, from the company over that time frame. Uh, in any event, uh, the uh, the case went forward. The the police did their investigation. The prosecutors took it over and uh, have now charged her with the case. So it is an interesting situation where uh, you have somebody who actually that goes to the authorities, admits their crime, uh, and then is now being charged. And typically, as we've seen uh, many times. Uh, the the admission never is the reality of the full extent of whatever the fraud that has occurred. So uh, usually that's done in an attempt to try to uh, accept a certain lesser penalty, perhaps, or lesser lesser culpability, and then ultimately uh, perhaps get a lighter sentence. Uh, but in any event, uh, she did that, and uh, uh, God bless her for it. But uh, uh, nonetheless, it was uh, it was a long, long fraud over a long period of time, and $1.66 million, even spread over seven years, uh, I'm sure damaged the company, the company uh, tremendously. This case also was, uh, you know, situation, essentially a vendor fraud case, where, um, you know, this woman, Zola, uh, who, you know, created a fictitious company, writing checks to the company, and basically taking money out of it. So again, very classic, very, um, very common situation, uh, not nothing uh, un terribly unusual about it. And I'm sure we'll learn more about it as, uh, as the case unfold. So I want to get to Dan. Uh, welcome back. Um, Dan, how are you? Great, Chris. Thank you for your uh, very kind invitation. Yeah, my, my pleasure. Uh, Dan has had a long and distinguished uh, background in the area of investigations, and he now heads up the world-famous investigative firm of Kroll Associates. Gee, I think it's almost as famous as Mark A. International, maybe. But anyway, <laughs> let me tell you a little bit about Dan. Dan uh, is chairman of Kroll Associates, based in New York City. Uh, he's had over 40 years' experience directing investigations of business crimes. His practice includes major fraud investigations, the Foreign Corrupt Practice, Act, litigation support of all stripes, uh, contest for corporate control, that's proxy battles, etc. Internet crimes, we're going to get into some of that today, the, uh, some of the online um, frauds that go on. Uh, financial crimes, asset searches, and uh, product counterfeiting and due diligence. Dan launched, uh, during his career at Kroll, Dan launched the European operations of Kroll, uh, opening its London office uh, uh, way, back, uh, way back when, I think in the early 90s. 
90s. No, maybe late 80s, that is. Uh, when, what year was that, Dan? Uh, 1986. Yeah, okay. Uh, and you were uh, the, the company's, uh, the, the office's first managing director at, at that time. You also helped open up the offices in Boston and Philadelphia, where I actually ended up uh, going. And before joining Kroll, Dan was general counsel and the assistant commissioner for the Department of Investigations in the city of New York, where he conducted major fraud investigations. At the Department of Investigations, he was the first director of the New York City's Inspector General Program and supervised the internal investigation. Investigations uh, in their office in their 24 different uh, mayor agencies. Um, Before that, he was an assistant district attorney in Bronx County and served as the chief of the narcotics investigations unit. Uh, Dan has a BA degree from Ithaca College and his JD degree from New York University School of Law. So, Dan, this is uh, it's it's a pleasure having you. Uh, Like I said, uh, I had the honor of working with you for uh, I think nearly 20 years. And um, let me ask you, you you started out as a prosecutor and then made the transition to private investigative realm. Uh, how did that come about? Can you tell us about that? I was always interested in conducting investigations more than in trying cases. I felt most of the, the heavy lifting and uh, interesting work went into the actual fact-finding, finding out why people commit crimes, what they did and how they did it. The trial was the, uh, the the storytelling part of it, and I found trial work to be much less interesting than actually getting out and, and doing the investigative work, and so I decided to stick with it, and after I left the Department of Investigation, I, I looked for a firm where I could further that interest, and I was had the very happy uh, occasion of being introduced to Kroll, and I never looked back. So in that, I imagine, I mean, you've held a variety of, uh, of roles, uh, including the general counsel of the, company, of the firm, uh, and uh, have grown and been there for forever now, now serving as chairman. The, 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 the company, um, I mean, I left the firm 13 years ago, which is quite, quite a long time. Uh, so I'm sure that the company has, has changed a bit, but, uh, but it's also remained the same in some respects. Uh, t- tell us about the, the firm uh, today. Kroll is a worldwide organization. Uh, we have uh, 50 offices in some 29 countries, and our stock and trade is conducting business-oriented investigations. We are investigating wrongdoing committed by employees and others who are trying to steal the assets of companies, either in the form of money, intellectual property, uh, or inventory. Uh, we also conduct a broad range of investigations related to uh, asset tracing. We've investigated the uh, theft of assets by former heads of state working for governments and for judgment creditors who are seeking to enforce judgments against debtors who are trying to conceal assets. We also are very active in investigating cybercrime, which is the fastest growing uh, criminal enterprise in the world. So, uh, and I imagine uh, it's be, it's very important that you are, in fact, uh, globally oriented because so much business today, and and therefore so much fraud, is conducted across borders. Isn't that the case? That's exactly right. More than half of our business is international, and borders are meaningless when it comes to committing any kind of a business crime because a significant amount of that crime is committed electronically, and it really doesn't matter where on earth you're sitting if you have access to a computer. 
Right. So, and as our, our, our colleague, uh, or my old colleague, Alan Brill, your colleague, you always like to say the, uh, you know, the, the, the fraudsters uh, commit their crimes at the speed of light, <laughs> where government and prosecutors uh, work at the uh, speed of government, which uh, tends to, to lag. So there is a real need for firms like Kroll uh, to assist uh, companies, organizations, victims. Tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, maybe uh, one of your favorite uh, uh, fraud cases over the years. Well, probably my favorite case involved a um, a woman who was posing as a Bahraini princess and claiming to be an investor in the oil spot market, and she was attracting investors who were impressed with her. Uh, her her uh, her resume and her personality, and this is what sells most people in con games: the force of personality. And she got some fairly high-profile people and very intelligent people to invest. And what she was doing was simply converting the money. It was a an early Ponzi scheme in which she was using new investors' money to repay old investors. And uh, I traveled to the south of Spain to actually confront her and it turned out she was affiliated with a ring of of former or of, of, of Spanish fascists who were trying to overthrow the government and they were in turn related to some of the descendants of Benito Mussolini and I ran around the southern coast of Spain trying to prove that she was the fraud that she was ultimately we did and uh, we were able to commence or show our our client that uh, the money he had invested was unfortunately lost uh, and that he had been uh, taken in by this woman, but uh, we were able to uh, let law enforcement know what she was doing, and I believe we successfully shut her down. That's uh, that's a great case, terrific. So we're gonna we're gonna take a short break here, and we'll be back in two minutes. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Our highly competitive business world is fraught with risks and challenges. Critical business decisions must be made on a daily basis with precision when significant capital is at risk. When your organization is faced with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Marquet International, global experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Marquet International professionals assist organizations with vetting key individuals and businesses, as well as conducting sensitive employee or executive misconduct investigations. Our experts work with corporate counsel to develop facts and intelligence related to parties and circumstances in litigation, including conducting interviews, deep background investigations, and asset recovery inquiries. We are recognized in the area of fraud investigations, response and business controls consulting. When circumstances require sensitive and professional fact-finding, turn to Marquet International, world leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit MarquetInternational.com or call 617-733-3304. Workplaces are only as strong as their teams. Teams are only as strong as their individual members. Are you seeking a better way to take your business to a higher level? We're here to help. Listen for Leading with Social-Emotional Intelligence, Building Trust Through Intentionality and Vulnerability with host Glenn Harris. 
Together, we'll explore the five key behaviors of a cohesive team and other concepts designed to keep your team working smarter. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to Fraud Talk with Chris Marquet. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to Chris at marquetinternational.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at M-A-R-Q-U-E-T international.com. Now, back to Fraud Talk. And welcome back, Fraud Talkers. I am your host, Chris Marquet, and with me today is my old colleague, Dan Carson, who is the chairman of Kroll Associates and uh, a 40-year veteran of the international investigative world. Uh, Dan, welcome back. Thank you, Chris. Good. We've been uh, talking a little bit about uh, Dan's firm, Kroll Associates, and the long and illustrious history that it's that it's had. Um, I I know you guys, and I'm familiar with your annual uh, Kroll Global Fraud Report. Uh, tell us a bit about the the report and, and what it includes and, and what it uh, what it does. The fraud report is published in cooperation with the Economist magazine. We ask our clients to tell us what uh, they are experiencing insofar as attempts to steal. Uh, money and property from them and other internal kinds of uh, wrongdoing that they're experiencing. Give us some detail on that. We compile statistics on trends in crime and publish those in the Ford Report on an annual basis. It's been uh, very successful for us and uh, a very good indicator and adds to the library of resources that people have. It's available. We don't charge for it, and it you can get it through a link on our website, which is com. Right, good. Uh, that's that's an important thing, and I encourage folks to go check check out the uh, the Kroll Global Fraud Report k r o l l dot com, and uh, and uh, it's uh, chock full of uh, interesting data. Uh, so, based on that, and I know we've talked a bit. Uh, you know, the, the you mentioned that the fastest growing crime is essentially cybercrime of various of various forms. Uh, you know, for example, we read every day about uh, you know hackers who are attacking and stealing credit card uh, data from you know major companies and uh, taking empl- employee ID identifications and and and, and customer ID information, etc. How do they get in there, and uh, you know what can companies do to prevent this kind of thing? This is without a doubt the greatest threat to not only individuals who work every day on their PCs and keep their personal data, their bank data, their uh, personal information, but it's a tremendous threat to businesses around the world. And it's, uh, Chris, you've really hit the nail on the head. This is what companies should be worried about. This is what people should be worried about. A 
I mean, I'm afraid, frankly, I'm afraid to do online transactions. I mean, my wife likes to shop online and whatever, and, do, and we do a little bit. I mean, I'm afraid to do online banking. I mean, is, is that crazy or, 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 or you know, are, are these uh, financial institutions secure? It's not crazy. You have to be secure on both ends. The good news is that the major multinational banks are getting a lot smarter about this, and they are insisting or they are instituting procedures where there are at least two forms of defense against hackers. They're upgrading their system significantly. So you have to be safe on both ends. Your bank has to be secure, and your own computer has to be secure. So uh, anti-theft uh, and anti-hacking software is very important to be uh, installed. But the way outsiders get in is they look to see if there is a, a security weakness that can be exploited. Uh, companies like Microsoft release patches uh, for their software that address newly discovered security weaknesses. And if these patches are not applied, then your computer has a weakness that can be exploited to gain entry and run malware. Malware is a uh, software program that is installed by hackers that steals your data. And if you don't have it, and if your retailer or bank doesn't have it, then there's an exposure. So they will look for ways to worm their way into the system. Uh, another way they do it is by sending an email. And the emails are disguised to look like legitimate messages from sources inside of an organization in the hope that the recipient will open an attachment. So You've read many, many times, and your listeners have read many, many times, don't open an email that you don't trust or you don't know the source of, and it's, it's quite accurate. Uh, the attachment, if you open the attachment, it's going to infect your machine and open your network. In the case of a company, it's going to open their network to exploitation. Uh, you might get a, an email uh, that says something very bland, like daily report. Uh, and it may appear to be, in a, in a business sense, may come from a colleague in your, in your company, or it may come from uh, somebody you know. And all it takes is one person to make the mistake of opening the attachment, and it starts to significantly, it compromises the network. The third major way that an outsider will get into a system uh, is through a business partner. Many companies have a, either a joint venture or they have a service provider who has access to their network for a legitimate business purpose. It could be HR, it could be information technology, and that partner has a weak link. And for example, uh, the, um, one of the major breaches of a significant retailer in this country was launched from a compromised connection at a company that provided services to the retailer. So they got to this enormous U.S. retailer through a service provider. Uh, so it's in one of those ways that they'll get in. And, you know, we read about the proverbial 22, 23-year-old young person sitting in his bedroom in Beijing or Bucharest or Moscow and Believe it or not, that's not an exaggeration. That's somebody who might be doing it, working for a larger enterprise. So there, and the invasions are coming from China, from Russia, from Ukraine, uh, principally. And uh, it it sounds cliche, but that's where the that's where the danger is coming from. So one of the lessons is clearly uh, that. 
if you have all your vendors who have been granted some sort of access to your own system, they need to pass a, uh, a, a, a online security test that is equal or better than your own. Absolutely. Uh, and then also, uh, we talk about, uh, well, all it takes, like you said, one person inadvertently, one employee, you know, if, if the company's bombarded by a million uh, phishing emails, all it takes is one person to open the attachment and boom, you're infected. Uh, that, that, that's, a, that's a scary prospect. That's a hacker can is looking for... Uh, any success percentage that's he can get. So if he's right one out of a hundred times, he's in. The company has to be right a hundred percent of the time. Yeah, it sounds like uh, you know the terrorists. Uh, we, you know, they only have to be right once, and we have to be right and vigilant a hundred percent of the time. So, and this actually brings up uh, another sort of a, uh, a tangent uh, issue, and that is, you know, we have. Uh, attacks coming. I mean, a lot of these attacks, some of these attacks are just sort of uh, malevolent, malicious sort of things. Many of them are done by organized groups uh, looking for personal data that they can then exploit uh, through identity theft and drain bank accounts, etc., uh, or just start, you know, charging up money uh, on various accounts. But also, we have the threat of uh, actual government, uh, actual governments who are not our friends. Uh, I'll say the Chinese and uh, perhaps the Russians and others who are constantly pinging away at not only government installations and websites, etc., but also private enterprises. No, that's exactly right. They are. Uh, looking for information from government contractors and looking for information that can be used uh, in any way to their advantage. Uh, I think just this morning, the State Department, or over the weekend, the State Department said that it had been successfully hacked, uh, and they say no uh, vital data was lost. But you have outside outsiders constantly pinging government agencies, but also assaulting uh, and trying to disrupt the operations of major financial institutions and corporations, stealing both employee data and stealing customer data as well. So are there, what are the, what, you know, what are the active efforts to try to combat that? First of all, uh, we are seeing a migration to uh, a better uh, protection on uh, credit cards the system that's being used uh, more frequently now in uh, in Europe. Uh, secondly, uh, U.S. Which is companies... Just, just, which is just descri- go ahead and describe that. It's uh, the implantation of a, uh, of a microchip on the card, uh, which is an anti-theft device, which is used more commonly outside the United States uh, than it is here, and there's a migration to that. In addition, their companies are... Being are upgrading substantially, upgrading their uh, antivirus protection systems and uh, the protections they have in their IT systems to prevent this kind of thing from happening. They're hiring hundreds of technicians, adding substantially to their IT protection staff, and uh, upgrading their systems to diminish the likelihood that they're going to be hacked. So when uh, when 
when Kroll is called, there's been and there's a major, uh, let's say, a major uh, breach of some kind at a at a at a large company. What how what's your response typically involve? We try to seal off the exits first to assure that the hacking has stopped. We install uh, a proprietary software that looks for the malware and shuts the malware down. And also we try to source the IP, the internet protocol system where the invasion is coming from so we can determine whether it is internal, external, what information they've seized, and to uh, close down any exits where uh, proprietary information and private data uh, can be uh, can be exited. We'll also do an internal analysis of uh, email and of um, of all systems that access the company's IT system and the server to determine whether there has been anybody internally who has been stealing data and alienating or selling data. Uh, so we try initially first to close down the exits and then uh, find out whether the invasion was internal, external, and uh, report to the company on what um, measures they should be taking to upgrade their system. Yeah, and I imagine, I mean, the, as we know, we read the headlines every day, the damage to... Uh, the company's reputation, the ability to conduct business when these breaches occur is is catastrophic. Uh, of course, uh, the there's statutory requirements to report these things as well. No, there are for certain uh, regulated institutions, banks, financial institutions must report these, but not every company does, uh, not every industry does. So there actually have been some significant frauds that have taken place which have not gone reported. But yes, any company that is interacting with the public by uh, using their, their, their private data by issuing credit cards uh, or opening bank accounts or uh, that has loan facilities, they are under a legal duty to report that. We, will, we have to take a break now. We'll be back in two minutes. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Our highly competitive business world is fraught with risks and challenges. Critical business decisions must be made on a daily basis with precision when significant capital is at risk. When your organization is faced with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Marquet International, global experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Marquet International professionals assist organizations with vetting key individuals and businesses, as well as conducting sensitive employee or executive misconduct 
conduct investigations. Our experts work with corporate counsel to develop facts and intelligence related to parties and circumstances in litigation, including conducting interviews, deep background investigations, and asset recovery inquiries. We are recognized in the area of fraud investigations, response and business controls consulting. When circumstances require sensitive and professional fact-finding, turn to Marquet International, world leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit MarquetInternational.com or call 617-733-3304. Does your business, like many, face obstacles to becoming successful? Would you love to have an open forum of entrepreneurial ideas and best practices brought to you each week? Tune in for the second stage with hosts Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. We'll spotlight entrepreneurs and growing companies that are creating a vibrant economic base, as well as addressing some of the obstacles that could be standing in the way of your success. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are tuned in to Fraud Talk with Chris Marquet. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to Chris at marquetinternational.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at M-A-R-Q-U-E-T international.com. Now, back to Fraud Talk. And welcome back, Fraud Talkers. I'm speaking today with my special guest, Dan Carson. He is the chairman of Kroll Associates, uh, the world-famous investigative uh, and fact-finding firm. Uh, Dan and I have been speaking about cybercrime and what uh, what's going on today in the marketplace uh, where frauds uh, are, being, are occurring every single day. Companies are being attacked uh, by all kinds of uh, different nefarious uh, individuals and groups, and uh, it's up to them to be extremely vigilant to try to help protect themselves uh, and then, of course, respond uh, appropriately. One of, one of the things that, that Kroll does uh, quite a bit of is uh, in response to those types of cyber crimes and, and intrusions. Dan, welcome back. Thank you, Chris. So, uh, so we were talking about hacking and penetrations into companies and banks and what have you, uh, you know, stealing customer information, stealing employee information, uh, obtaining credit card data and using that uh, in whatever way they like. Uh, what other kinds of cyber crimes are you seeing? The most common kind of cyber crime we're experiencing now that's of a major uh, level is stealing money by effectuating phony wire transfers. And what happens is this. If you were an employee in a company and you got an email from your CEO telling you to wire transfer a very large sum of money uh, to a foreign country, uh, uh, to a specific uh, individual, uh, you probably would pick up the phone and just for protection call the CEO or call the person who gave you the instruction and said, I'm just checking with you to make sure that, that you called me and you want me to transfer this money. Uh, you'd think that was common sense, but in fact, that there are people, uh, many instances where the money's been wired out because someone got an instruction which they thought was legitimate from a senior officer of the company and sent out a significant amount of money 
to uh, to a foreign uh, party, and the money was in fact uh, the wire transfer was fraudulent. What happens is someone or a cyber criminal will install malware in a company, uh, meaning that they will gain access to your company information technology system. They'll be able to get in on your email, read the emails that go back and forth between and among employees. And what they do is they zero in on the finance department, and they will learn who is responsible for wire transferring money to vendors. And then they will create a domain. Let's say your uh, uh, your company is uh, is xyz dot com, and they'll create a domain that says xyzfx dot com. And they will, after they've learned your email, they've learned your business, they've learned the way you talk to employees, the jargon, the way you do business, they'll create this domain and they'll send an email to someone at the wire transfer desk. And it looks like the email is coming from the chief financial officer or the chief executive officer. The person at the wire transfer desk gets the email. He recognizes the name. Uh, He may or she may not recognize the uh, the domain as being different from their regular domain. In other words, they may see xyz.com and not realize that it's xyzfx.com, or they'll right. see the new domain name, and they'll assume it's just a variation on the company domain, and the email instructs them to wire transfer uh, a very large sum of money, and the email may contain, may contain the language, gee, we forgot to, we owe a balance on this amount of money due, uh, wire transfer money to ABC, at, they want the money sent to their uh, to their branch in China or to their account in China, and the employee wire transfers duly wire transfers the money to a bank in China to an account there. The account belongs to the hacker, and it could be in the high five figures or low six figures. Not something so large as to make it impossible, but large enough to make it worthwhile. The money goes out. And it is then swept out of that account in China that very day to other accounts, either in China or in other countries. And in our, in the last year and a half, our clients who have been victimized by this have lost amounts of money ranging from the low six figures to the millions of dollars. And it is a seemingly simple scam, one that uh, it at times seems impossible to pull off, and yet it's being pulled off every day. So we're talking about simple uh, phishing slash spoofing uh, methodology where the uh, recipient of such an email who who is usually, you know, knows knows better, but, and they may they may check or they may not check. Uh, they're not checking, you know, because they don't want to disturb somebody or some other simple um, explanation uh, where they're in, in effect not following the internal protocols. Is that how they get around this? They are. Uh, they're not following all of the internal protocols, and uh, and and yet. The again, the amount of money being wired out is not so unusual. What is unusual is the money's going to a foreign bank account, 
and it's going sometimes in an amount that is uh, a little out of character. But uh, and the other aspect of this is that they most often strike on a holiday weekend, so they'll wait for the Friday before a three-day weekend. The person you want to confirm this with may be away, may be hard to reach, and it happens more often. Fourth of July, Labor Day. I expect we're going to get some of these next week around Thanksgiving. Yeah, uh, it's very cleverly done. So, how does one protect themselves from such a such a scam? Number one, make sure the email is coming from your domain and not a domain that is slightly altered or different or wholly unlike your domain. In other words, if your company domain is xyz.com, make sure it's xyz.com. Secondly. If the, uh, the, the company to which you're sending the money is different or the bank you're sending the money to is different or you're sending the money outside the United States, pick up the telephone and call the person who emailed you and just ask, is this, did you send me this email? Are we sending this money to this destination? A simple, very simple process. So, in other words, simple control, financial controls that uh, that should be followed in any event. And frankly, if it's any significant amount of money, there really should be multiple, you know, quote unquote, signatories or, or authorizations on such a wire. I would imagine. And if uh, if you follow that, you're rarely going to get uh, you're really going to get taken. Correct. That's right, Chris. In fact, the the simplest is merely calling the person who originated the instruction and saying, is this on the level? Right. So let's segue over a little bit, and uh, but this gets into, um, you know, what happens when you have somebody on the inside? Because once you have somebody on the inside who's willing to do bad things, it makes it much more difficult because they're already inside. Correct. That's correct, Chris. So you have, you know, in the case, uh, the the fraud of the week I described, for example, uh, in this uh, Connecticut woman who fleeced her her employer for one point six six million dollars over a seven year period, and that's frankly, that's you know, that happens all the time. Uh, we read about these uh, these kinds of major embezzlement cases. Um, t- I, I know you guys get involved in, in in these cases as well. Tell tell us a bit about that. Chris, you could not have picked a better example for the most common kind of internal major business fraud that is fraud that is committed. Uh, at any one time, we have in the house a case like the one that you described regarding the woman in Connecticut who stole from her employer. What happens is that someone who is in charge of purchasing goods and services for a company, they may buy the office chairs, the conference tables, the paper, the software has the responsibility of buying that for the company. Um, And what happens is over a period of time, their judgment is trusted. They are long-term employees. And what happens is they do one of two things. Either they they take or extort kickbacks from the vendor on pain of losing the account, or what they do is they create a company, a fictitious company, and they cause checks to be issued to the company. And because the employee is, has been employed for so long a period of time and is trusted, they are 
uh, they're not suspected, and these frauds are not found until much later on. These often are people who deal with the outside auditors, or the outside audit process is not sufficient, and these things can go on, these frauds can go on for years before they're detected. So in this case, you have someone who set up an outside company that she controlled. She either wrote the checks herself or had someone write the checks, handled the purchase orders, and I'm guessing that she might have been employed there for so long or been so trusted or handled both the ordering and confirmation process, the two ends of the process, that uh, no one caught on and uh, money was stolen that way. So it is the most long-term, lingering, oldest kind of fraud committed against a company, either, as I said, through this we call the fictitious vendor scheme or by extorting kickbacks from, uh, from vendors. Yeah, and other, to- other times it's uh, sending money to uh, a family member's business <laughs> and sharing the proceeds. Usually it's a friend or somebody they know where they can, they can trust enough to commit the fraud and that they're going to split the proceeds of what have you. And another, co- another method is simply overchar- you know, overpaying and then splitting the overage with the vendor, which uh, we've seen quite a bit, correct? That's exactly right. And in many of the big cases that, that certainly you've investigated and that we've investigated tend to involve people who are senior in the company, have been with the company for a very long period of time. Yeah, and in fact, in a case like this, we're not talking about major, major companies with dozens of people in a finance office. You may be talking about a single bookkeeper or one person with a very small accounting group who runs complete control over that and has all levers of the financial controls in their own hands, and therefore, the uh, the controls can be circumvented very easily, in the, like in this case. Uh, we're going right. to have to take, we'll take our final break here, Dan. We'll be right back back people in two minutes. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Our highly competitive business world is fraught with risks and challenges. Critical business decisions must be made on a daily basis with precision when significant capital is at risk. When your organization is faced with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Marquet International, global experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Marquet International professionals assist organizations with vetting key individuals and businesses, as well as conducting sensitive employee or executive misconduct investigations. Our experts work with corporate counsel to develop facts and intelligence related to parties and circumstances in litigation, including conducting interviews, deep background investigations, and asset recovery inquiries. We are recognized in the area of fraud investigations, response and business controls consulting. When circumstances require sensitive and professional fact-finding, turn to Marquet International, world leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit MarquetInternational.com or call 617-733-3304. 
Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Fraud Talk with Chris Marquet. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to Chris at marquetinternational.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at M-A-R-Q-U-E-T international.com. Now, back to Fraud Talk. Welcome back, Fraud Talkers, for our final segment uh, today. We've been speaking with uh, Dan Carson. He is the chairman of Kroll Associates, the world-famous investigative agency. Uh, and uh, we've been talking about cyber crimes. And we just started uh, a little bit of discussion about employee theft and, uh, and, and embezzlement, uh, uh, which uh, goes along with the fraud of the week, uh, where a woman embezzled $1.66 million from her employer up in Connecticut. Um, we talked about you know how these things go on for years, uh, and and listeners of the show will know um, we put out the Marquet report on embezzlement every year, which uh, describes how. Um, the, the the simple schemes that are employed, for example, for simple forging of checks is the most common. Uh, unauthorized wire transfers, the second most common. But then we talk about the victim organizations, uh, the most common being financial institutions, followed by government entities. But then, of course, uh, small businesses. Uh, religious organizations, nonprofits tend to be highly victimized in these kinds of cases simply because I believe they tend to have weaker financial controls internally and therefore putting themselves at much greater risk with maybe a single volunteer uh, bookkeeper in the case of a nonprofit. Isn't that so, Dan? You're exactly right, Chris, uh, and, and good to point out. Uh, all of us uh, are involved in one way or another in some kind of a volunteer organization, and that's where the we find frequently uh, find a lot of fraud because the controls by their nature are fewer, and you have, as you say, one person who might have control of both the accounting and the purchasing function. Uh, family enterprises are also uh, typically victims because family enterprises, even the very large ones, uh, where there's a family foundation in the name of perhaps a very n- notable family known in the news because they've made, uh, they've been very successful in business. They tend to be victims too because they, on the, the, the there are fewer controls that are exercised, and we find family organizations equally victims of this. Yeah, and what in fact happens is, and I can't tell you how many times I've read this, I'm sure you have too, uh, oh, we treated them like family, uh, we can't believe we were betrayed in such a manner. Uh, it happens all the time where these long, long-term employees who, uh, who you know, started out maybe as a bookkeeper and became the CFO of a small family-run business, uh, and then uh, they control all aspects of the finances that are trusted implicitly 
directly. They're the ones dealing with the auditors. They're the ones providing them the information to the auditors. You and I were talking about this in the break. Um, give us your, your, your thoughts on, on what happens there. Sometimes there's almost a, a psychological aspect that goes on. That's, that's quite true. We had a case recently involving a very large financial institution that had simply grown so large but had not lifted its own internal controls uh, in uh, correspondingly along with its growth. And there was an individual who was in charge of a lot of the purchasing uh, for the company. He was an intimidating individual, and whenever he was asked about the prices he paid or the services that he uh, retained, he began to bully the people who either questioned him or confronted him. And it wasn't until somebody finally said, oh, we really have to have somebody else look at this, they hired us. And we found that he was both getting kickbacks on the purchase of uh, of goods that the company bought, but also had set up the fictitious vendor scheme as well. And he ruled the company by intimidation and it took a long, long time before someone had the nerve to confront him. So, what I mean, what motivates? This is a question that always has uh, intrigued me, uh, as listeners uh, know. What, mo- what you know? What motivates these people to steal from their company? I mean, these are people. These are organizations that that employ them, that help you know, that help them. They they go every day. They know these people. They're friends. They treat them like family. I mean, what 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 is it? It's a great question, Chris, and it's one of the reasons that you love this work and I love this work. Uh, What motivates people to steal? Well, number one, greed, which is not a surprise. People uh, live beyond their means. And uh, once they get used to a lifestyle that has been funded by the company money, they can't get off that lifestyle. So they, the, what they're stealing becomes part of their income. So that's one. There's also anger. People who are angry at the company, they weren't promoted, they didn't get a raise, they didn't get a bonus, they've been overlooked, they were disrespected, and they get back at their company by stealing. Mm. Another is ambition. They aspire to wealth, they aspire to a higher position, they want to get ahead in the company, and one of the ways they can do that is by manipulating the system to their advantage. And they make themselves indispensable and along the way, they are lining their pockets. So greed, anger, ambition, and then there is the X factor, and I call that it's called <laughs> office, office romance. Right. There is some personal relationship going on between them and someone else in the company, and that relationship is fueled by showing off. Uh, look what I've done to the company. I have access to this information. I'm going to punish that person. Uh, they may be exacting a little revenge because they've lost a romance or because something has happened. It's a personal relationship that they are furthering in the way of bragging or they're, they're affecting that relationship in some way by stealing from the company. It sounds uh, a little too much like a soap opera, uh, or uh, a TV docudrama, but in fact, it's true. 
Yeah, and in fact, I've seen it happen where it's it's not necessarily an office romance, but an external romance where they're trying to woo somebody or they're they're trying to impress somebody that oh, you know, I've got all this money, I can take you on these junkets. We're gonna go, let's go gambling in Vegas this weekend. I'm gonna, you know, we're gonna travel. I'm gonna buy you all these nice baubles, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, so it, you know, it, it, I mean, the first point my studies have shown that most of these cases. It's a the greed factor, what I call the lifestyle factor, where people become accustomed to a lifestyle financed by the company uh, theft, and that needs to be perpetuated, and they keep doing it. They go, it continues year over year over year. Uh, there are lesser reasons. Uh, such as actual need. I mean, there are certainly cases where, you know, somebody steals a little bit of money because they, you know, they can't uh, make their mortgage or whatever. They just got divorced or some something befell them and they steal some money with the intention of giving it back. They realize how easy it is and they keep on stealing and it gets larger and larger and then it becomes a lifestyle factor. Have you, You've seen those too, no? Exactly right. And then there's gambling, and some people become addicted uh, to certain activities uh, like gambling. I've seen a real connection between gambling and embezzlement. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you guys have seen that as well. Right. It, again, as you point out correctly, it's a lifestyle situation, and they have to get the money from somewhere. And they get in so deep, they can simply never get out. So, uh, Dan, it's been a real pleasure having you today. Uh, we're going to have to uh, end it there. I want to thank you very much for joining me. Dan Carson, Kroll Associates, uh, the chairman of the firm, and uh, that's www.krollkroll.com. You can get their annual uh, global report on fraud from the website and learn more about the firm there. And join us, please, next week uh, when our guest is, is John Hall, the president of Hall Consulting and the author of the anti-fraud toolkit and the award-winning book do what you can simple steps extraordinary results should be another great episode thanks again dan appreciate it thank you chris it's been a pleasure great thank you for listening to fraud talk this week Please join Chris Marquet again next Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Don't become a victim of fraud. Tune in for another show soon. We'll be right back.